I'm Katie Barber. Now here's Jack Riccardi. All right, Katie, thank you very much. Good afternoon. And uh, first off, just like I promised you last night, I watched the speeches. I took it for you. I did it for you. All right, so you didn't have to, if you didn't want to watch the State of the Union speech and the responses to the, and the, and the pundits and the analysis, I, I did that for you. I, we've got it all right here. We're going to lay it all out for you right here. If you were not watching last night, here is the most important thing you missed. Every politician who could got a hold of the fabric with the colors of the Ukraine flag. And they made pantsuits and scarves and, and face masks and, and earrings and uh, they accessorized themselves with the colors of Ukraine. And I'm telling you, two weeks ago, none of these losers would have known what the colors of the Ukraine flag were and, and, and many of them might not have even known where Ukraine was. That's how we are. That's how serious a country we are right now. That doing something about Ukraine means wearing the colors of Ukraine. It takes a special kind of cynicism, I think, to be a country that invites the Ukrainian ambassador to sit up in the gallery, wave the Ukrainian flag at her, and then give a speech about how we will not and absolutely are not going to fight to defend her country. Now, I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying there's a hypocrisy to wrapping yourself in the flag of a country you're not going to defend. Of course, we should be used to it because they wrap themselves in the flag of our country all the time, and they usually don't defend that one either. There was a lot of weirdness about last night. I mean, the mask mandate was suddenly gone. <laughs> it was all of a sudden the science changed we had a big sciencey day and and no more masks um in the in the chamber now they did alternate seating they had every other seat empty but then they played kissy face and huggy face before and after the speech anyway there were tons of members of congress right up in 79 year old joe biden's face so um that was interesting to watch these are the people that have been, you know, our, our overlords for two years. That, that virus is gone as far as they're concerned. You know, Joe Biden is known for plagiarism in his political speeches. And I think you could argue that in a, in a grand sort of general sense, he plagiarized a lot of last night's speech. There was a lot in the speech last night that sounded like stuff Donald Trump said. You know, we've got to make America great again. We're going to get businesses to remain in or return to the United States. Of course, Joe Biden and his party is, they're the ones that, that did the trade deals that, that moved our productive capacity to China and Mexico and incented companies to move their manufacturing out of our country. But now they're going to be the ones to, to bring it back. And he said, we need to enforce the border. We need to secure the border, he yelled at Congress. Like he had nothing to do. Absolutely nothing. to. He just found out how bad things are, and he's outraged by it. That was weird. The front part of the speech was 
Obviously, the part that was written in recent days, because it was about Ukraine. And I, I got a feeling, and maybe it's my, you know, my age, because I remember Reagan in the 80s, and, and a younger person probably wouldn't have come away from the speech with this at all, so bear with me. But I was watching, thinking, Biden is going for some Reagan here. He's trying to sound tough about Putin. He's trying to do an evil empire speech. And... um that part was obviously fresh and, and had just been written. And people who, if, if people liked anything in the speech, it seems like they liked that first uh, 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so. It, it didn't work for me, and, and I'll, I'll get into why, but uh, clearly to me he was going for kind of an evil empire, Reagan-esque, he doesn't know what he's in for with us, uh, at one point uh, the president said. After the Ukraine part, the rest of it was the speech that probably had been written around Thanksgiving. And it was very disconnected from reality. It was stay the course. This is a president who's deeply underwater, even in his own base. And the the country does not think we're on the right course, yet he's urging us to stay the course. And to hear him talk, things are going great. And so the disapproval... You know, the other day, Nancy Pelosi said on an interview that the only reason the president doesn't have better approval numbers is because the American people aren't smart enough to know what a great job he's doing, which was crazy, but maybe he believes that, too, because that was the tenor of the speech. Now, CNN had one of their uh, analytical guys on last night. I, I forget who. I forget his name. Um, but he's, I think, one of their, like, audience research and polling people. Anyway, he... He was explaining, he was making an interesting point. He said the audience for a State of the Union speech is typically weighted toward the party of whoever the president is. So if there's a Republican president, the audience for the State of the Union is heavily Republican, right? Because people that don't like the president aren't tuning in to watch the president. People who tune in generally are tuning in to see somebody they like or they're pulling for or they voted for. So he was saying, you've got an audience for this speech that's, that's heavily weighted or slanted uh, Democratic. And yet he said the approval for this speech was very low. It was the lowest they had seen in 15 years. So it, it was the speech that even a partisan Democratic audience did not seem to uh, relate to. There was some other weird things. There was a moment in the speech, Don, I don't know if we have this clip, where um, he was talking about what had happened to um, veterans, servicemen and women serving in Iraq and Afghanistan who were in, in proximity to burn pits and how now they're having health issues, which is true and, and a serious problem. But when he was giving that part of the speech... Speaker Pelosi did like a hippie hippie shake move. She stood up and she rubbed her hands together and she wiggled her hips. You'd have to see it uh, to believe it. And no one can quite figure out why she got so um, jazzed at that moment. There was also a weird moment when Chuck Schumer jumped to his feet like a man having a fit. Um, and he was obviously anticipating an applause line and then the applause line didn't come. And he had his hands you know, stretched out to begin this this manic applause, and he had to hold it. And that's that's the whole 
theatrics of these State of the Union speeches, no matter who the president is, uh, there's a lot of, of, of monkeying and amping and, and vamping, rather, uh, for the cameras, you know? And, and honestly, so much of the choreography in the audience is to make sure that at the, at the right moments, the right people will be seen reacting. Um, it's why they release, I, I truly believe it's why they release an advanced copy of the uh, speech. You know that, right? The, the speech is released, the script is released before the speech is given. And there's really no logical reason for the members to have it. I mean, why would they want it? Why would you need to read along with it? It's for the television networks. <laughs> it's so that the members and the networks can choreograph uh, the coverage. And then just to cap off a very weird night with a lot of weird gestures and a lot of weird statements from President Biden, who really did not look well. I, I mean, I, I don't want to... I don't want to say this to the point where you're sick of hearing me say it, but there is something really wrong with him. Um, he is not solid, and I'm not going to die. I'm not. A, I'm not a doctor, and even if I was, no doctor should diagnose somebody via the television. But he's he's there's there's something off about him, and he was slurring and squinting at the teleprompter and trying to figure out what he was saying and correcting himself. And at one point he referred to the Ukrainian people as the Iranian people. And over his shoulder you could see Vice President Harris mouthing the correction. I don't know if he could hear her or not. She wanted us to know that she knew. <laughs> but then at the end of the speech, so he he gives the 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 line you always give, the State of the Union is strong and God bless our country. And then, and it's not in the script, he just yelled out, he just had this, this, like, you know, pep rally kind of moment. If we could play it, cut number 10. Listen to this. This is our moment to meet and overcome the challenges of our time. And we will, as one people, one America, the United States of America. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you. Go get him. Go go get him. It was a go get him or go get him. You know, like apostrophe E-M. Either way, I don't know what that means. No one knows what that means. Go get him. <laughs> what, what does that mean? That's what you say when the team is running back out in the field for the second half. I don't know what it means. Do you? There's no prize if you can explain it. We're just curious. I, 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 a friend of mine who's not into politics at all and doesn't care about this stuff at all, he watched the speech and he said, I think that was like a Ron Burgundy moment where that was written there to tell someone who handles Biden, go get him, like get him out of the chamber, go take him, take him out of here now. And, and, and maybe Biden read something that was, that scrolled up the teleprompter that he wasn't supposed to read, like Ron Burgundy says things on the teleprompter you're not supposed to say out loud, because that isn't in the printed copy of the script, and it seems like an odd ad lib. We don't know what he's... Go get who? Go get what? Who's doing the going? What is the getting? So that was the State of the Union. There was a response from uh, a couple of different Democratic uh Members, including the squad, and then there was a Republican response 
from Republican Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, and all I can tell you about that is it was competent. It was it was okay. It was it was not awful. Uh, those responses are never really memorable unless something goes wrong and nothing went terribly wrong. A train went by while she was talking. That was about it. But uh, it seemed like a solid kind of uh, workmanlike uh, response. Uh, on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, uh, Trish DeBerry was the outright winner of the Republican nomination for Bear County Judge going on in the fall to face uh, whoever will uh, prevail on the Democratic side and Trista Berry's with us right now on KTSA and congratulations. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be with you. Um I know that um you talked a lot when we had you on earlier, uh you, you talked a lot about what you would have done differently and how you differed with the way that Bear County Judge Nelson Wolf ran things, particularly during the pandemic. Um is your general election campaign going to be more of that or will it differ based on who you wind up running against or or is the message going to be the same no matter who the democratic opponent is well i think for the most part the message will really be the same and that is when jack you know when we talked last time i talked about the fact i'm really proud of the fact that i've been a small business owner for the better part of 25 years the last conversation that we had, I talked about the fact that, look, I would never have shut down businesses, you know, even at the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't have a playbook. I mean, I completely understand. Nobody knew what to do exactly. But when we look at the fact, you know, that 85% of the United States economy, really here in San Antonio, too, in Bear County, are built on the backs of small businesses, that is the last thing we needed to do. So as I look at the messaging regarding my pragmatic business skill set. You know, I think I was a force to be reckoned with when I came on the commissioner's court because I have that skill set. You know, whether it was holding people accountable for spending, you know, looking at the jail overtime situation, uh, you know, and not being necessarily somebody who was going to rubber stamp decisions that were made on the court. We had commissioners that had been there 25, 30, 40 years. And sometimes I think when you're in office that long, you kind of get along to play along. Well, I feel like I came in as an agent of change, um, and I think that's what people appreciated mm-hmm. about me. And so that message will stay constant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your your Democratic opponents are talking a lot about how to use the federal funds from Build Back Better. Um, so their message is going to be doling out federal dollars. What What is your response to that? Well, I think we've got to be very careful as we look at it as a fiscal conservative. You know, I think we've got to tighten up the purse strings. Um, you know, if we are going to appropriate that money, uh, we don't just give it out willy-nilly like it's candy. I mean, we've got to look at, you know, what is the return on investment associated where we're dedicating those dollars from an infrastructure standpoint. I mean, look, we had a dam that burst several years ago, and there is no question that we have to improve our infrastructure. You know, but like I said, this is not something like I'm on Oprah Winfrey, where I'm like, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. I mean, much like, you know, the ARPA funding, you know, we examine that very closely and who knows what's going to happen with Build Back Better. But I think people are kind of tired of free money uh, because we've seen it really harm the economy that we live in today. The service industry can't find people to go to work, um, which I don't really understand because I've always been somebody who's been pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of gal, a less government kind of gal, because, look, I mean, government is at its most efficient when it's operating smaller. 
And that's the other thing that I'm going to work on, Jack, is really looking at the opportunity regarding city-county consolidation. I've been very vocal about the fact, wrote an op-ed about, we need to be taking a look at merging the Metro Health Department of the city with, you know, UHS, because they've got a lot more dollars to be able to work with. You know, Metro Health stumbled, you know, out of the gate at the beginning of the pandemic. They've been severely underfunded for years. But if we're really going to scale impact, Regarding health in this community, it comes through a merger, and it's a great example of city-county consolidation. All right. Trista Berry, Republican nominee for Bear County Judge. Hope we will talk again soon, and thank you for the time today, and congratulations on last night. Thank you. Good to talk to you as always, Chuck. All right, same here. Uh, 426 on San Antonio's 550 and 1071 KTSA. We're going to be catching up with more candidates uh, including uh, one of the Democrats who will be in the runoff for Bear County Judge, and we're, we're we've invited a lot of others. I don't know how many we'll get today. We may get some tomorrow, but we're obviously trying to get uh, some of the key winners and losers: the Attorney General's race, uh, the Cuellar Cisneros race, and uh, we'll be on that uh, today and tomorrow as well here on KTSa. Um, and we're talking about the State of the Union uh, speech. If you if you did watch it or listen to it on KTSa uh, last night. Um, points that you want to make, observations that you had. Um, the the State of the Union speech is a little bit like um, the ad. Have you ever seen an ad for an a, a dating app? You know, like the you know Our Time or Plenty of Fish or Match dot com. The the people in the ad for the dating app are never people that are. On the dating app, they always use models. You can't meet those people. You're not going to see those people on the dating app. And state of the union speeches describe an America that that, that doesn't exist. It, it, it's it's massive spending programs. It's the magic finger of government reaching in and solving every problem and making everything better. And from morning till night, your your life is going to be better. We've got all these plans. And, and most of them will never happen. And if they do, they will never have the effects that whoever the president is, is promising. That, that there's, there's a, there's a suspension of reality to the State of the Union speech. But, um, in this particular one, there was some really incredible lying going on. And again, I'm saying that with the lead-in that that there's always lying going on. But there is no way, when the president talked about his infrastructure plan, that it is what he claimed it would be. It doesn't build half a million electric vehicle charging stations. Not even close. It isn't the most infrastructure spending we've ever done in our history. We did, in real dollars, we did more infrastructure spending in the late 70s and early 80s. We did more during the 1930s. And back then, when we did infrastructure, we actually built bridges and highways and airports. We weren't defining infrastructure as all these other wish list things that we, that we now use that word for. The president, at one point last night, said that there was a big open field near Columbus, Ohio, that's going to house um, eight state-of-the-art Intel factories very soon. And he promised new jobs paying $130,000 very soon. That field exists. But all Intel has said 
is that they have plans. They have the vision. It's, it's years and maybe more than a decade away from happening. He's not making it happen. There was the, um, uh, all, all of the talk about how, uh, if we, you know, do a Green New Deal and we do the Build Back Better, uh, we'll lower inflation. Of course, the, the whole point of inflation, or the whole, I'm sorry, the whole, uh, root cause of inflation is the printing of money. So every time the government is promising to fund things, do things, build things, uh, pour money into things, that's inflationary. To stand there and say, if you'll just give me all this stuff, we'll lower inflation is the height of hypocrisy. You're saying that because you hope people won't know that the opposite is true. Um, the opposite is true. Government drives inflation, nothing else. So as States of the Union speech go, it was really rank. Um, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's going on with uh, voting here in Texas. Henry Cuellar is on the ropes. He's he's headed for a runoff, it looks like, with Jessica Cisneros, the squad-backed Democratic challenger. And, and Henry Cuellar is the, the last Democrat of his kind, as far as I can see, at least in the U.S. Congress. Uh, pro-life, pro-border. Um, so they've really marked him for extinction. And it looks like they may have him. We're joined now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line by San Antonio Express News columnist Gilbert Garcia after last night's uh, first in the country Texas primary voting. Gilbert, good to have you back. Good afternoon to you. Any any surprises uh, from last night's results for you? Yeah, there were a few. I mean, one um, that I, I, I tweeted about last night, I really underestimated um, the performance of former Councilwoman Elisa Chan in the um, Texas House District race uh, 122, which is Lyle Larson's old seat. Lyle Larson had endorsed Adam Blanchard, who's a trucking industry executive. And I think I was focusing a lot of attention on that campaign. He ended up finishing third. Elisa Chan uh, will be going to a runoff with Mark DeRazio, but she you know, had a comfortable plurality in that uh, primary, got about 37%, did very well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I, I guess um, I thought it was very clever of her to use uh, basically the same display advertising she had used when she was on city council. So even though that was some years ago, it was like she never left. You know, she was right. she was somebody that, that looked like she'd been around the whole time. She also had a lot of television, it seemed to me. Yeah, she, um, you know, she has, has uh, invested a lot of her own money into the campaign, mm-hmm. and uh, which you know she's able been able to self fund. I think my understanding is Mark Rosio is also going to be in that same position or has been in that mm-hmm. position, so that'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, she she definitely put a lot uh, into advertising for this campaign. It, it, are these? Um, it seems like that seat has become more valuable or contested than just the average Texas House seat. Is, is that just because, uh, am I being parochial, or does it seem like it's become a bigger deal? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, any time you have a seat that is pretty solidly belonging to one party, which this is a solid Republican seat, it, mm-hmm. it has a lot of value when it's when it's open. I think Lyle Larson had it for mm-hmm. something like 12 years. and it, So when these seats come open, it's, you know, someone can basically feel like they can be in the House as long as they want, if they if they win, so there's there's a certain value in that. But I think also, Lyle Larson was a divisive figure in the Republican Party. Some people thought he was a rhino uh, in recent years because he he you know, went against the grain 
uh, with his uh, when it came to his party on certain votes. And so I think there's, you know, there's some people who want to see that seat uh, held by someone who maybe they consider to be more conservative. Um, in the uh, House race between Congressman Cuellar and challenger Jessica Cisneros, that was a rematch. Last time it was very close. This time it's very close. He he seems to be he seems to be headed for a runoff. Is that is that your read of it as well? That's right. There, the Secretary of State's website has him with a slightly higher percentage of vote than I think he actually has. They have him at like forty nine point nine eight percent. It's right at the cusp of avoiding a runoff. But um, we, and this has been written about by some other people today. But um, there's a kind of a glitch where they uh, Star County added the early vote to the or the, the secretary of state's office added the early vote to the total vote for star county and so he got a, a bump of about 1600 votes from that that sh- they should correct that at some point so um henry Cuellar really uh has a target on his back i mean you, you, whatever whether people agree with him or disagree with him this is a man who's um not only um, uh under investigation by the fbi but he was already on the outs with uh, the Democrats on the border, on abortion, on a number of other things. He's kind of like the Texas version of Joe Manchin. Very much like that. And, you know, this is a, uh, one, I think one of the reasons that, that there's so much fascination, uh, even nationally, with this race is, you know, there's so many, it, it points to so many divisions within the Democratic Party. It's ideological. Jessica Cisneros is obviously very much kind of a movement progressive in favor of Medicare for all and the Green New Deal and so on. And there's, it's generational. She's 28. He's 66. You know, so there are a lot of, uh, it's, it's, in, in some ways, this race is a kind of, uh, gives us, it's a, it's a, a small or a, a, a micro version of, of the, 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 the battle that's going on within the Democratic Party and nationally right now. I, I kind of wonder, though, if he might be, uh, the beneficiary of something that we usually talk about more with Republicans along the border, and that is that um, a lot of uh, border voters are becoming much more hawkish on, on border issues, which would be to his advantage. I mean, even though he's a Democrat, um, I, I would think a lot of them may may see him as their guy. You know, he's he's the guy we can count on. We don't want to change horses. Well, for, you know, for one thing, he's been there for nine terms, and there are a lot of projects and things like that, he, that he's brought to the district that people remember him for. But also, uh, you know, as you suggest, I mean, it's not always understood by people outside the state, but Democratic voters along the border tend to be more conservative than, than Democratic voters that we're going to see in San Antonio or in, in, in other, you know, in big cities in, in the state. They're dealing with the issue of, uh, you know, border security. They tend to be more, much more sympathetic, I think, to gun rights. Um, they're, I think, more culturally conservative. And so, I mean, that's, that explains, I think, why he's been able to, uh, you know, have so much success over the years. How do you read the, the Bear County judge race, which, uh, we just talked to Trisha Berry, he'll be the Republican. Um, obviously, either one of these Democrats has a lot of name recognition. Um, it, it's obviously, uh, you know, going to be a, a I, th- I think the Democrats are probably going to unite behind either one of these people, wouldn't right. you? So how's that going to shake out? Well, you know, you you, you have two people in uh, in Peter Sakai and Ina Mihadis who are pretty much like bipartisan figures. Ina Mihadis maybe uh, was a little more partisan in, the, in, the, in her last year in the legislature when you know she went she went to Washington D.C. with her fellow Democrats to protest against the uh, the, the voter 
uh, bill. But in general, she's worked well with Republicans in the legislature. And I think that, you know, there are not going to be a lot of like policy differences between them. And it's it's hard for me to even uh, uh, guess what kind of negative campaigns they might launch against each other. So it, it's, it, it'll be interesting in the sense I think that it's it's going to be pretty much, you know, my resume versus your resume and just, um, you know, they these are people who both have quite a bit of experience. He's uh, Judge Sakai was, I think, pretty uh, well liked figure as far as his his, his work in the in the court uh, system. And um, uh, so I think that's what it's going to come down to. When you listen to Trish DeBerry, she's running against the way Nelson Wolf held that job, even though he's not in this race. She is right. she is saying he did this, this, and this that he shouldn't have done. I would have done it differently. How, how does that work for her running against these two who are going to say we had nothing to do with Nelson Wolf? Yeah, well, I, I think that it's a, it's kind of a philosophical discussion about what the role of county government could be. Because he he expanded the role of county government and, and saw it as, as, as something that could be used to create really big you know, catalytic projects in the in the community. And um, that's not something that she necessarily favors. I, I think that um, that's where she's going to go after them, because I think they're going to probably say that they want to. I, I don't think anyone is necessarily going to going to do things the way Nelson Wolf did. Um, and, and maybe that had the level of ambition he had as far as big projects. I don't know that anybody will do that, but I think they're going to, they're going to say that they want to follow in those, in those footsteps. And I think that's what she's going to challenge them on. A couple of statewide races real quick. Uh, in the attorney general's race, uh, Paxton and George P. Bush, uh, what, what's your read on that right now? Well, you know, I have to say, I've been amazed at Ken Paxton's, uh, Longevity, his, his his ability to to hang in there these years. He spent most of his eight years in the AG's office uh, under indictment, and he's been able to to ride this out. And uh, I, I think that that's going to be the big issue uh, for George P. Bush. Um, you know, I, I don't. I think that he is all all. The, he's he's basically said it's about competence, and I think he's also going to going to raise questions about uh, you know the integrity of, of Ken Paxton, but. You know, they're, they're kind of both vying for the support of, of Donald Trump and Donald Trump's supporters. I mean, uh, George P. Bush said today he's actually going to ask the president if he'll reconsider and shift his endorsement from uh, Ken Paxton and George P. Bush. I doubt that's going to happen, but uh, that's that's what he's going to do. You know, just from what I, I hear from our, our listeners, um, they they buy Paxton's version of events, Gilbert. They believe they believe him when he says look i'm taking fire because i'm over the target i'm i'm the reason i'm under constant uh investigation is because i'm they're, they're so afraid of me that i'm so dangerous uh to the powers that be and i i think you could run against him on the uh you know the indictment issue or the investigation issue except that if you're george p bush you you're carrying along all that family dynasty baggage so you can't really present yourself as the fresh-faced outsider i know he's trying to do that but i think no matter how hard he tries uh there are people who when they see him they see the older bushes well and the thing too is he's not saying you know, one of the things paxton is known for is he's you know filing lawsuits against the federal government he challenged the 2020 election he he tried to uh, uh shoot down the the affordable care act and George P. Bush isn't disagreeing with any of those things. He's saying mm-hmm. he, he does. He 
he supports the premise of those lawsuits. He's just saying Paxton mm-hmm. wasn't successful at it. And I, so mm-hmm. I think it's kind of hard for him to make much of an argument. He's saying, yeah, I think that that was a, I think what he did was a good idea, but uh, I'd, I'd be more successful at it. Mm. And um, as far as Greg Abbott versus Beto O'Rourke, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like the Beto O'Rourke uh, ship has peaked or the star has peaked or whatever. I just, I think that's, I don't, I don't see him bottling up that magic again uh, from 2018. Well, I, I would say this. Look, I think it's going to be a much more competitive race than we saw, say, with Wendy Davis and Greg Abbott in 2014. Certainly, the than we saw in 2018, the, the Gubernatorial race. I think it'll. I think Beth O'Rourke will always, I think, be able to get Democratic voters out to the polls. He's always going to be able to raise money, but um, it's a tough year for Democrats unless things change uh, in the next few months and. Um, you know, Greg Abbott has some. There, I think a lot of the when you see Greg Abbott's poll numbers going down, as they have on occasion, uh, in, in over the last year or so, it's ba- basically been Republicans who've been unhappy with him for, for mm-hmm. certain things. But I don't think those Republicans are going to vote for Beto O'Rourke in, in yeah. November. Yeah, Gilbert Garcia, read him in the Express News and at express-news.com. Thanks for the time, Gilbert. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime. No more. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for you, ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. He has no idea what's coming. He has no idea what's coming. All right. How, how did that grab you? 210-599-5555. Jack Riccardi on KTSA. Did you like what the president said? Did you like the tone on Ukraine? Uh, if for people that didn't like the rest of the speech, some of them did like that. Um, I think he was going for the Reagan evil empire tenor or phraseology. Remember Reagan... Uh, early in his presidency, um, broke with the long-standing idea that the the Cold War and the nuclear mutual assured destruction, the thing we were talking about a day or two ago, that that was both countries' fault, and we're both to blame for the nuclear arms race. And he he wanted to make a a break with the idea that there was moral equivalency between the U.S. and the USSR, and he used the term "evil empire." And the thing that that I think Biden was trying to capture with his, you know, hoarseness and his raising his voice and the stern look on his face was missing the thing that people often forget about Reagan, and that was that Reagan also had a vision behind that rhetoric. So it wasn't like somebody just wrote some words for him. Um, that the, in fact, those words, by all accounts, were Reagan's own choosing, and and there are stories around the Reagan presidency that, if anything, the speechwriters and the handlers didn't want him talking that way. They didn't like him using those phrases and that colorful imagery. But that was his vision, and Reagan had a a um, a spiritual uh, basis uh, for it. Um, which the anti-Reagan media and the Democrats, including Joe Biden at the time, 
uh, were very dismissive of and mocked of, uh, mocked and rejected. They were very uncomfortable with the idea that Ronald Reagan believed God was on the side of the West and Western civilization, that communism was godless. So you can, you can try to strike the pose, but you have to be coming from the place where Reagan was. I don't think Joe Biden is. What did you think? 210-599-5555. Did, did any of it make you angry? Or are you just over being angry about this? Like this, this guy, I mean, you know. Jack, if I get angry every time he says something, I'll be angry all the time. One of the more surreal things politicians do when they give a speech is act as if they're bystanders, act as if they're just like us. They're wondering, how did things get this way, when in reality they're the architects and the engineers of how things got this way. There was a lot of that in the State of the Union last night. The president uh, was talking about the importance of funding the police and being in favor of law enforcement uh, as if, he and his party have had nothing to do with the uh, rhetoric and actions in the other direction. And maybe the most surreal moment was when the president uh, angrily declared, we must secure the border and fix immigration. And our next guest heard that loud and clear, former acting ICE director Thomas Homan, who's now a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and is on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, Tom Homan, I got to ask you, what did you think when you heard this president say that line? I was angry because he's talking about securing a border. He had a secure border. He was handed a secure border by the Trump administration, the most secure border we've ever had as a nation, and he unsecured it on purpose. So it, it just—it was disgusting for him to even say it. Matter of fact, he threw out many things that needs to be fixed that he broke. Mm-hmm. The, the opioid crisis. Well, he broke that when he opened the borders. Ninety-five percent mm-hmm. of the opioids come across the border. Human trafficking. He broke that when he opened the border. So it's disgusting for him to say we need to fix these things, considering that he's the one that broke them. It's hard not to think that they're just looking at polling numbers that are so unbelievably bad that they've got to pretend they didn't take the positions and institute the policies of the last year and a half. Yeah, they, look, they got no backbone. They, 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 they don't have enough self-confidence to stand by their decisions. So you're right. This is this is a political move. And he made those statements hoping to, you know, that uh, American people are stupid, I guess. But anybody who's paying attention to the border knows what he's done. President Trump gave us the most secure border in my entire career, which is 35 years. The, the illegal immigration was down 80% at a 35-, 40-year low. Opioid smuggling was at a low. Trafficking was at a low. And within months, President Biden turned that thing upside down. And so for him to make those statements, he obviously thinks American people are stupid, and we don't know you know, what he did, what actions he took in the first two weeks of, mm-hmm. of, of being in office. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't sound like you have any confidence that he will actually execute a U-turn here. He was just saying it. Oh, yeah, I think it's a political message. Look, he sold out. He sold out to the progressive left. Look, to this day, to this day, now he's been in office – or over a year. Name one thing he's done to slow the flow. He hasn't done a thing to slow the flow. What has he done? He's done the Remain in Mexico program. We had to sue him to do that, and I was a part of that mm-hmm. law, too. I actually wrote, wrote an affidavit, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Title 42, 
He's only doing that maybe 20% what the Trump administration did. So he's done nothing on his own to secure the border. And what I said this morning on a Fox show was, you know, if, if he wants to really secure the border, he can do it in a week. He can turn on the Trump policies that he abolished, make the three agreements with Central American countries, remain in Mexico full bore, Title 42 full bore, build the wall, finish building the wall, and he'll have control of that border, but he won't do it. I have no mm-hmm. confidence he'll do it. I have no confidence the secretary will do it. What do you hear from people that, the, the people that are still in this, uh, you know, in government and, and that maybe you worked with or worked under you, what, what do you hear from them about the way things are now? Oh, morale's, morale's not existent and ICE in the border show. I think the border show is starting to, you know, they're starting to be a lot more vocal. Uh, you know, the secretary and, and, and it goes out there with the chief patrol agent and have these town hall meetings and border are, you know, it turns into a shouting match because border mm-hmm. agents are working their butts off. They had a secure border. And they watch this administration come in and purposely unsecure it, which is going to result in, again, more uh, fentanyl overdoses, more trafficking of women and children, more death. So they're tired of it. So when you got the secretary chief coming out to have a town hall, these guys want to hear, what's the plan? What's the strategy? How are we going to regain control of this border? They hear nothing of that. They just hear how, you know, they got to continue doing more work, and the secretary says you might not – you know, support these policies, but, you know, the, these are policies you have. You have to work within them. The, the the new commissioner of CBP, Magnus, went to Yuma and had town hall meetings to a bunch of men and women who are working 24-7 and said this, if you don't get, if you don't like the policies of this administration, don't support them, quit. You know, I would imagine a lot that. of people are doing that, right? Yes, and he also claimed this crisis isn't because of the policies of this administration. This crisis is because of lack of manpower. So how, how, how out of a touch is this guy? The reason there's a lack of manpower, you idiot, is because you created a crisis and there's, and there's not enough agents to cover the yep. crisis. But that's yep. what he said, and board just called me that same day. Just told, Look, they, they, they feel abandoned by the president. They feel abandoned by the commissioner. They feel abandoned by the secretary. They feel abandoned by their own chief patrol agent, not headquarters. They've all sold out. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We have a government right now that is more interested in the sovereignty of other countries than it is of the sovereignty of their own country. Thomas Homan at the Heritage Foundation, former acting ICE director. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for the time today. We appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. All right. 512 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jack here, 210-599-5555. If you didn't watch last night, and Lord knows I would not blame you, what did you watch? Anything good on last night? <laughs> I sat through all this. What did I miss? What was good? Um, the 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 thing that I just could not get over. I just was shaking my head. They all these Congress critters wrapped themselves in the Ukrainian colors. Oh man, it's blue and gold. They've got the blue and the gold, and they had it every which way: scarves and kerchiefs and pantsuits and they had flags they were waving and these are people that won't wave our flag if you handed them an american flag it'd be like handing a vampire a crucifix but they got those ukrainian flags yay and and i really think they think they are bucking up the ukrainian people like we're 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 showing them our love we're showing them our support meanwhile that ukrainian president when i see him on television he's saying we need we need the following weapons he's like got a list right 
Please send this, 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 and this. I don't think he's over there saying, boy, I sure hope Sheila Jackson Lee wears that hat with our, uh, <laughs> with our colors on it. That will do a lot for morale. I think we can get through this invasion if we see Eric Swalwell with a Ukrainian scarf on. I think, I think we can do it. Oh my gosh, these people are un, it's unbelievable. That is their idea of doing something. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised because you and I know people who they think if you hashtag something, you've done something. And how about the people, and you know who I mean, and if you are one of them, I'm sorry. We can still be friends and all, but how about all the people on Facebook that have put the Ukrainian flag over their, you know, over their uh, profile picture? Oh, very effective. That will, that should do it. That should just about, that will break Putin. I mean, I understand, I, I, I support them, and it's important to, that you do the things you can do. I love that people are going in, in, in cities and towns across the country. They're finding Ukrainian diners and Ukrainian bakeries, and we have Laika, the bakery on Broadway, um, and, and saying, hey, if you're a Ukrainian American, if you're a Ukrainian immigrant with a business, right now I'm going to support you. I'm going to, I love that. I'm not mocking or belittling anything you do, give, contribute. But these people who could, who have the power to do more, think they can wear it on their lapel. We've been, we've been on this, this lapel kick for a long time, right? I'm so old. I remember when people thought they were, they were fighting HIV by wearing the right colored ribbon on their lapel. I think it was a red ribbon. You know, it, 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 if that's all you can do, get out of Congress. You know, we, 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 we'll put somebody else in. If that's the best you can do is play dress up, get the hell out of Congress, I, th- I say. Today's Ash Wednesday, if you, if you uh, are a Christian or Catholic who marks uh, Lent and Ash Wednesday, then you have ashes on your forehead today. And have you ever had the experience of somebody kind of confronting you or, or being upset or angry. I mean, most people, especially in a city like San Antonio, most people are very chill with it. But I, I, every so often, every so many years, there'll be somebody who, and I don't know what, what, I really don't know what goes through people's minds, but they, um, they want to challenge you on the ashes. Like, what do you do? What do you think you're doing there? That's not in the Bible, which is really not a very smart thing to say. Not everything that Christians do is literally in the Bible. There, there, there is scriptural tradition, and then there is, I guess you could call it, uh, the traditions of the liturgy, traditions of different faith traditions, right? And, and the thing about donning ashes, at the beginning of Lent, is that it's a sign of penitence. And it's actually as much Old Testament as it is new. There's a lot of references in the Old Testament to dust and ashes and the association of ashes with um, doing penitence, penance um, in the, in the uh, Old Testament books like Samuel and Isaiah. So, so that's part of the answer. And then part of it is that for Catholics, um, Ash Wednesday is uh, the beginning of w- one of the themes of Lent, which is accompanying Jesus into the desert. 
and um, that that that's where the whole business about giving things up, sacrificing. I'm not going to have this for Lent. I'm not going to drink or eat that or or have this or that thing that I enjoy. I'm giving up. People give people give up social media. They give up television. They give up um, sweets or coffee or you know whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, every so often somebody will kind of come at you with the whole where, where, what do you think that what do you think you're doing you know i i don't know why christians do that to each other i i, I know i'm asking a very deep question here i'm really not too sure why christians because i understand usually the person asking that is from a christian tradition that doesn't doesn't wear the ashes and um to me, it's, it's, it would be just as obnoxious as if I, with ashes on my forehead, went up to somebody who didn't have them and said, what do you think you're doing? Where are you? You know, same thing. You just, you don't do it. We need each other. The world has a lot of hostility for believers. The world has a lot of hostility for people with the courage to practice whatever their faith is openly. So it would be one thing if the person confronting you hated your God, hated religion, organized religion. There, there are people like that. But when, when our own Christian brothers and sisters, who just happen to have a different tradition, many of them, by the way, do, in fact, mark Lent, and they respect that, but not the ash part. And some of them don't respect any of it, but... Why you would go after people who really are your your allies? I, I I will never completely understand. I don't know if that's an insecurity thing, uh, or or what that is. It's it, it, it you know, it's it's a deep question. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure there's an easy answer to it. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Um, I mentioned um on my Jack Riccardi just a minute video, uh today that um i've actually had some funny experiences with lent uh it seemed like it doesn't normally seem like uh, fertile ground for humor but um when you when you decide to give up something for lent sometimes you can you can overreach it's like you know you throw the pass you you overthrow your receiver so i remember about 20 something years ago I had decided I was really going to be hardcore and I was going to give up meat completely for Lent. Now, you, you, you don't eat meat. You fast for meat on the Fridays of Lent and on Ash Wednesday today, but I was going to go the whole 40 days, you know. You can do that and people do do that, but a smart person first figures out, well, all right, I'm going to eat more eggs or beans or whatever to get the protein and the iron you know i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna make up dietarily what i'm giving up in the meat well i didn't do that so i would just you know sit at a meal and put the meat off to the side (laughs) just eat the side just and i mean it did not take long and i was a younger guy then i can imagine what it would be like now but i'm you know then i was in my 30s i got so weak I mean, it was people. People were worried, you know. Like, you, you've got to stop this, and I did. I had to stop it. It was too much. So, there's a smart way to do that. Don't do it the way I did it. And then I, I've tried giving up coffee, which is a major thing for me. And um, that's 
that that gets you into an interesting area. Like when you do give up things for Lent, you're not supposed to, um, you're not supposed to constantly be reminding everyone around you. Uh, so you're not supposed to tell people, hey, you know, I'm giving up such and such, or no, no, no coffee for me. I'm giving it up for Lent because that that goes to the whole story that Jesus told about the Pharisees, where he says, you know. Don't be like them where they carry on very publicly and they want everyone to know that they're fasting or suffering or whatever. Um, and so with the coffee thing, I, I that didn't work really well for me because it just meant other people had to suffer around me. So that wasn't good either. You know, the whole, the whole, the whole approach of giving things up, that's really only part of it. It's okay to add things. I think some of the most fulfilling experiences I've had and I've heard other people talk about with Lent is when you added, you, you, you adopted maybe something else to your faith life or you decided to say the rosary or you decided to pray for your enemy or you decided to, you know, do, do you added something positive to your life. It doesn't, it doesn't just have to be a deprivation thing. And that way, I guess, I guess that way it will feel a little more balanced. Uh, but let me know if, if you've ever had the experience of somebody kind of almost getting unhinged about the ashes. It does have an effect. And, and I've noticed today people can't let it go. They've got to say something. They see it, and they've got to say something. Sometimes they say very nice things. Usually they do. But it's like they can't let it go. It's there. It's just staring at them. Funny, isn't it? What was the hardest thing you ever gave up for Lent? And maybe it's the thing you're giving up starting today, or maybe it's some something you did in the past. What was the hardest, um, most trying uh, thing you gave up for Lent ever that you want to talk about? 210-599-5555. We're going to grab some calls on that. But first, on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, State Representative Ina Minjares is one of the two Democrats who will be in a runoff to be the Democratic nominee for Bear County Judge. And she joins us now on KTSA. And Representative Menares, congratulations on making the runoff, first of all. Well, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so you're, I, I have to ask you this because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've thought of it, but your, your opponent now is Judge Peter Sakai. And look, people have a lot of respect for him. You can't run some sort of scorched earth campaign against this man. So how do you do it? Hey, you know, I, I practiced law before Judge Peter Sakai. I, I, too, have respect for him. You know, for me, it's going to be focusing on the facts. And, and what I mean by that is looking at the quality of experience that we both bring to the table. You know, I've received specialized training in, in, in the legislature. I was, you know, I, I was in charge of the Texas state budget, which, you know, was over $200 billion. I also was responsible for issues like transportation, cybersecurity, health and human services. You know, I have a wide array of experience. And so that's what I plan to present to the voters. You know, I plan mm-hmm. to run a positive race and, and just show what I what my vision is for the county. And I hope to to keep it clean. So you, you, you will make this about, you know, your qualifications and not uh, sort of try to draw a contrast to him. Well, you can draw a contrast in terms of what we both bring to the table. But again, I want to keep the campaign in a positive light because I know in terms of voters, they want to see 
who's going to be productive and who's going to bring, you know, a good vision for the county. And, and, and at least in my perspective, I definitely want to keep it a positive campaign. You you seem to emphasize in the in the previous conversation we had and this one, um, you reference your experience in the legislature. Um, he, when we talked to him, referenced his experience in family court in terms of things like homelessness and domestic violence. Um, h- how do you think your experience is more directly relevant to being Bear County judge? Well, because the experience that I have, I, first of all, I have an array, right? I, I, again, it, it's not confined to one particular area. I've, I've worked as well as in terms of my work in foster care, I've also worked on the homeless issue. Um, it, my experience is, is an array of experience. It, co- it touches upon different issues that are going to come before commissioner's court, you know, economic development, workforce development. All of these issues I dealt with on the state level, all statewide. And so, again, coming before the county, these are going to be issues that I am familiar with that I'm ready to tackle um, it's not going to be a learning curve. I'm, I'm, once, if I'm elected and the voters have confidence in me to take on this role, I'm ready to get to work. Mm-hmm. Is it a challenge to have a runoff election in a primary where, you know, as it is, this primary happened fairly early compared to those in other states, but then on top of that, you're asking voters who just voted to come back again in X number of weeks uh, how do you motivate people to continue to be interested in this when they're thinking, hey, the real election is in November? <laughs> right. That's going to be the challenge. You know, it's, it's number one, dealing with voter fatigue. Uh, you know, a lot of voters are tired uh, of campaign commercials. They're tired of their mailboxes being stuffed with mailers. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they're going to want a break. And so it's it's really going to be touching our base and making them understand the importance of this race. This is, you know, the leadership of the county, keeping them engaged and just getting them back to vote. I anticipate, you know, turnout will probably, will most definitely be lower than what it was come May. So mm. it's going to be who can, who, which one of us can get our base out and it's going to be continuously just pushing the voters to come out one more time in May. All right. State Representative Ina Minjares, appreciate the time. Hope we can get you back again. And thanks for uh, coming on. Congratulations on making the runoff. Thank you. Take care. All right. And we uh, did invite uh, Judge Sakai. He is declining our invitation today, but we'll get him on as soon as we can. Uh, 210-599-5555. I would like to hear the hardest thing you ever gave up for Lent. I told you mine. Meat was a... And I'm not even that big a carnivore, but just going totally cold turkey on meat is probably not a good idea. You gotta, and, and people explained it to me afterwards. They said, well, you, you probably became anemic. You, you probably had all these other, your, 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 your panels were way off. You, you gotta replace the protein. You gotta replace the, uh, the iron and stuff. So I, there is a smart way to do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but, uh, don't do it the way I did it. Um, what's the hardest thing you ever gave up? Was it, was it caffeine? Was it social media? Was it television? Hardest thing you ever give up for Lent, 210-599-5555. You can also email me, jack at ktsa.com. I'm getting a ton of emails about this already um, with people answering the question. So toughest thing you ever gave up for Lent. A lot of people are saying coffee. A lot of people say sweets, uh, chocolate or sweets. Um, uh, here's uh, Kim. She says, um, as a busy mom, the hardest thing to give up. 
uh, is coffee. Uh, Michael, as somebody that works at night, hardest thing to give up was coffee. Um, so a lot of people saying, look, you know, that, that was affecting me at work. That was affecting me at home. There are some people who are saying they did give up meat for the entire Lent. Um, and here's a guy who said, I did it and it, it really didn't seem like that much of a sacrifice. Uh, I gave up meat the entire Lent. Jim writes this into Jack at KTSA.com. Gave up, uh, meat the entire Lent. It was a little difficult, but didn't seem like a major sacrifice. The biggest spiritual gain I ever had was when I gave up television. I was way more productive that Lent, and my TV fast continued to this day. I watch much less television, writes Jim. And I guess that's probably uh, another interesting indicator. If the thing you give up turns out to be something you can continue to do without or or maybe rely on less. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that means you made a mistake. I, I think that's that's part of how Lent is useful. That's how part of how the, the the ritual of Lent is useful, right? I mean, isn't it always a good idea, just like we go through our house every so often, like we call it spring cleaning, you know, you go through the closets, you get rid of stuff. Isn't it good to do like a spring cleaning of your of your personal habits and practices and stuff like that. And so that's, that's okay. I think if you're doing that so far, coffee and sweets are the leading vote getters, uh, on my email, jack at ktsa.com. I want to grab some calls. Charlotte writes to jack at ktsa.com. The hardest thing I ever did for Lent was an addition. As a senior in high school, the four of us decided we would attend daily mass every morning during Lent. This was a small town in Texas. And our weekday mass was at 6.30 in the morning. And our first class was at 7.30. I have to say the hardest day was Saturday, but it was one of the most fulfilling Lents I've experienced. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big believer in addition, not just subtraction. I think that that can be really good. And, and, and I think we've maybe not done a good job of explaining that, even to ourselves or our kids. It's not just... What are you giving up or you've got to give something up? Um, because I think for some people, there's not, there's not very much for them to give up. You know, some people don't have any, very many vices or indulgences, but there's usually something we can add. And the adding is the, is the kind of thing that maybe you'll stay with, you know, that maybe will last longer than the 40 uh, days. And then if you are going to give something up, I, I had great advice from a, an old priest friend of mine years ago. He said, don't ever give up something that makes you someone others must endure. So if you give up coffee and you are cranky and irritable and you're like a you know ticking time bomb with, with your coworkers or your spouse, that's not good. That's not how this is supposed to work. You know, you're not, They're not supposed to have to suffer because you gave it up. Uh, and that's why, that's why I say, I think, I think you gotta watch what you give up so that it's not, it's, it's very internal, right? It's an internal kind of thing it's between you and, and God. Um, one of the great contradictions, I was thinking about this today, I went to, uh, a, a service to get the ashes and the gospel reading is the one where Jesus is talking about how the Pharisees, when they make sacrifices or they fast, they act in a way they're you know, he didn't say it this way, but they're drama queens. They they really put on a display of of their 
of how deprived they are and how anguished they are and they want everyone to know um you know that they're they're fasting or they want everyone to know that they were sacrificing and his point was don't be like them he wasn't talking to them he was talking to his own followers but he was saying don't be like them don't so you can't be going around having to announce to everyone you meet I can't have that. I gave it up for Lent. I'm not doing that. Nothing for no dessert for me. It's Lent. You know, you're not supposed to. And that I think that's that's the other kind of tricky part of this, right? It's, you kind of kind of we we live in a time, especially with social media, where we're conditioned to to advertise everything we're doing. I mean, social media encourages you to check in, right? Oh, you're at the you're at the Target. Check in. Let everybody know you're there. You're on vacation, check in. Let everybody know you're on vacation. You're at work, check in. If there's a storm, check in and let everybody know you're okay. But the, the, you're, not, you're not actually supposed to check in on this one. At least that's how I understand it. Uh, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Asking you, hardest thing you ever gave up for Lent? A lot of mentions of coffee, meat. Um, Wendy says cigarettes. I was up to two packs a day, quit cold turkey for Lent, prayed hard about it every day, went through horrible withdrawals. About a week after Easter, I caved and went back to my cigarettes, the brand I had smoked for years. I lit one up, and the taste was horrible. So maybe maybe she was meant to give them up. Lisa says, in high school, I gave up Doritos. (laughs) See, now in high school, that's a big... That would be a big sacrifice. I was joking with somebody this morning. I was saying the older you get, the less easy or obvious it is to give things up, right? Because if you're if you're our age, you maybe have already given up sugary sodas or desserts or junk food or McDonald's or Doritos. You may be, you may have already been told you can't have them, or you may have already decided uh, not to eat them. Or you're on a diet now and you don't eat those things anyway. So it gets harder as you get older, oddly enough. Because you, you've dropped vices and, and treats for other things, for other reasons. These young people don't know how easy they have it. They're, they've got all kinds of things they can, <laughs> they can give up on. 210-599-5555. And then, some people will will be very adamant and say, "I just don't believe in giving things up if you're going to take them up again on Easter." I, I I only believe in adding spiritually or adding prayer or like the, the Charlotte the lady who went to mass every day. So that's I think that's I think that's fine. You know, in, in the end, it's what brings you to that place we're trying to get to, right? It's what works for you. It's what it. It's what connects you to that spiritual place or that spiritual journey. And I'm sure for some people, there isn't anything they could give up that would really do that. Maybe they already lead a pretty lean life or a pretty disciplined life. Or you know, I'm thinking, for example, of like if you were a professional athlete, and I don't mean the ones that get busted with drugs or you know. Partying. I mean, the, I mean the kind of athletes that we hear about more and more that are on these incredibly strict diets and they work out year round, even off season. They're in these these crazy fitness regimens. If you're living that kind of life, no fat, 
no junk food, no alcohol, no caffeine. What the heck are you going to give up, right, in terms of a food or a, or a, um, a snack or, you know, some sort of vice like that? They've already done it. So I think that's where you got to look at the addition part of it. So we'll talk about that. We're going to get to your calls on that, plus your votes. In today's Stevens Roofing JR poll, the question for Bear County Judge, uh, do you plan to, run, to vote for Trish DeBerry, who's the Republican nominee, or do you plan to vote for the winner of the Democratic runoff, which will be between Peter Sakai and Ina Minares, who we just had on? Um, how do you see yourself voting in the Bear County Judge race? That's today's JR poll. You can vote at KTSA.com or when you call in at 210-599-5555. Uh, coming up, we'll talk more about all of this. We'll also talk more about um, State of the Union speech, Ukraine. Um, there's a new survey out. I thought this was interesting. Speaking of polls and surveys, there's a, a new survey out about whether or not people want, and I know it's really early and minds are going to change and things are going to change. Do people want the next presidential election to be a rematch of Biden and Trump? And um, this is just one survey, and, you know, polls are obviously worth whatever they're worth, but um, interesting, an interesting result on that question. Probably not what you would expect people to say on that question. Do you want, in other words, do you want 2024 to be a mulligan on 2020? So we'll talk about that uh, coming up as well. Um, and I do want to talk about not, not so much just the, the sort of hour by hour, minute by minute development, developments, uh, rather with Ukraine, but I'm starting to think a little bit, and maybe you are too, but how does this whole thing end up? Like, will this go on for years and years and years? Uh, will it end very suddenly? Um, what will it look like uh, when it's over? Um, and, and some of that has to do with how we're handling it, how our leaders, so-called, are talking about it. So, Katie, you and I are doing the two things that our listeners hate the most. Did you know that? I did not know that. Okay, so sports is number two. Uh, yeah. When we talk about sports, I get all kinds of grief. You'd think we were dragging fingernails down a chalkboard. And I mean, we have Joe Reinagle. I mean, you know, come on. The gold standard for sports in San Antonio <laughs> over on the Sports Star. He's doing sports reports on KTSA. I, I, some, you got to really go some to be annoyed by that, but people are. And then the number one most aggravating, annoying, hated thing, talking about religion. Ugh. So I, we're it's the double whammy right here. Yeah, indeed. It doesn't get any. It doesn't get any. I just wanted you to know you were part of that. You know, just. I'm happy to be a part of it, and I also work okay. in the news, okay. which uh, <laughs> might be number three on that list. That might be number three. You're right. I didn't think of that. Boy, we've got the trifecta. Yeah, I don't believe the news. All right. Thank you, Katie. You're well, welcome. Uh, the, the hate the hate emails have started to come in. So first, I started getting emails. Uh, about Lent, and then I got the, what I hate is you and your Catholicism, says Bill. What I'm giving up for Lent is you. All right, then. And see, I can say that because Bill is, is already tuned out. So, And we'll also say, if, if you are still listening, Bill, is, Bill, we, we love you. And we're not, you can give up on us, Bill, but we're not giving up on you. 
And then um, Edward makes a good point. Edward's a little peeved as well. He says, why do you have to give up a vice for Lent? Why don't you give up your morning jog for some Bible reading? Well, uh, that that is an interesting question, and I guess vice probably wasn't the right word. I just meant that usually people give up something that they will miss when they give up. Like, I exercise every morning, but I hate exercising. So if I gave it up, that would not feel like some sort of, oh, God, I'm sacrificing, poor me. But, I mean, if you really love your morning jog, I guess that could be something you, you give up. It has to be it has to be something the absence of which um, reminds you and connects you with what, you know, what Lent is about. And that's why I said earlier you can add something or you can subtract something or ideally maybe you would do both. Uh, that's our question, 210-599-5555. Hardest thing? you ever gave up, or maybe even the hardest thing you ever adopted. Like Charlotte mentioned, going to church every day. Uh, that's, that's tough to do. You know, that, that can be a, that can be a, a difficult promise to, uh, to keep. And I guess in a way, whatever you resolve, it's the keeping of the promise that's part of the challenge too, right? Like we make New Year's resolutions, but a lot of them don't survive the year. That's probably because it's hard to think of a whole year all at once. But there's something about Lent being just six weeks that, you know, okay, I could probably do that, or I could probably manage that or pull that off, you know. Plus, you get a little bit of Catholic guilt in there to work on you on the other end, you know. So just saying, 210-599-5555. But, oh, we've got the haters. They are they're, they're pretty upset about this conversation. That's okay. That's all right. I always say about this show, we talk about what's going on in the news, and we talk about what's going on in our lives, and sometimes it'll be stuff you don't want to hear or you're not interested in. I I accept that. Can't can't do much about that. Um you know what, you know, obviously, um if I knew well, I'm not even gonna say it. I was gonna say if I knew what people did not want me to talk about. I would have to have like some sort of ESP or psychic power. But I, you know what? Knowing myself, I think I'd probably still talk about it. <laughs> I don't think I'd avoid it even if I, even if I could. And I'm not trying to. Uh, all right. So there's a survey that asks people, um, do you want the next election to be a rematch of Biden versus Trump? Which very possibly could be. You know, I mean, Trump is making all the noises that he's going to run again, feels he has to, feels like he must. Um, And um, whenever they ask President Biden, he seems to indicate, I find this hard to believe, but he seems to indicate that he is going to run again. So um, do people want that? It turns out very few people do. It turns out that about um, two-thirds of Democrats and about three-fifths of Republicans do not want that rematch. And when they looked at the overlap, they found a very low number, like 6% or 8%, uh, who want both, who want both candidates in there in 2024. So um, I actually think, and I could be wrong about this, um, I, I don't think we're going to get 
I, it's so early, it's so far ahead of 2024, that whatever it looks like it's going to happen almost can't happen. And I base that on past experience. When you go back and you look at two years, three years out on a presidential election, the person everybody thought was the front runner, the favorite, the obvious, it almost never turns out to be them. Fate has a way, fickleness, I guess, has a way of intervening with that. And uh, I, I think the only reason that Trump might be an exception to that rule, to that you're not going to get a rematch, you don't get a do-over, the only reason he might be an exception to that rule is that he was such an outlier. You know, if a typical Republican or a typical Democrat was a one-term president, and they said, I really need to get back in there. You need to put me back in there. It would be kind of a joke, because you'd say, well, you know, the people have rendered their judgment. I mean, it's it's you're done. There was no discussion about a Jimmy Carter comeback, right? A George Bush comeback. But the reason I think Trump might happen that way is just because he really was an outlier. I mean, this... This, this was just not typical. This was just not politics as usual. And um, if he is actually who people turn to in 2024, that really says a lot about how scant or skimpy uh, the, ch- the choices are, right? I mean, look, I, I, I like what he did as president. Um, but I would be very discouraged to know that we can't find anybody under the age of 75 to carry that forward. I would be very discouraged to think that we don't have another generation of leaders who get that, who learned anything from that. I mean, I think we do, but if we can't find them or they don't step forward, then I guess I'm wrong. What are your thoughts on that? 210-599-5555. You know, I got to say, there were moments last night in Biden's speech where he even seemed to be invoking or evoking uh, some of Trump. You know, he talked about, at one point in the speech, he says, there's a law on the books that says when we spend taxpayer dollars, we're supposed to try to spend them on American businesses and American products, and we never do it. I'm going to do it. Trump could have said that. Buy American. And um, he talked about the, the, the pride people take in seeing Made from America stamped on a product and revitalizing American manufacturing. Now, those might just be empty words coming from Joe Biden. They probably are. But do you realize how incredible it is that just a few years ago, Democrats, all of them, were saying the opposite. Manufacturing jobs are not coming back. Obama said you'd need a magic wand, and there isn't one. They would lecture you. If you talked about made in America or uh, the the distinction of products made in America versus made somewhere else, they'd lecture you. They'd say, look, it's a, it's a global economy now. You can't be hung up on where stuff's made. Your quote-unquote American car is in all American parts. Your quote-unquote Japanese car was built in Kentucky or or Georgia. So that's the Trump effect right there. That's the Trump, you know, I guess you could say that that that's the remnant right there. That Joe Biden, who 
thinks of himself as the embodiment or the repudiation of rejecting Donald Trump and, and his his four years as president, yet here he is in, in his State of the Union speech, not mentioning Trump, not saying, like my predecessor, or acting as if these are things he thought of. These are the reasons you voted for him. I mean, they tried to blame every COVID death on Trump. And he was soft on COVID, and he didn't have a plan for COVID. But last night, they weren't wearing masks. They were all vaccinated. 75% of the country is vaccinated. And he talked about that, too. We're making progress. We're moving forward. Um, COVID doesn't control our lives anymore. We get vaccines faster than ever before. He talked about that. So he he knows he's doing it. They know he's doing it. They're evoking the guy they claimed to be the repudiation of. And so that's why I think if ever there was a time for a a mulligan in American politics, it's very rare. We've only ever had one president elected to nine consecutive terms, and that was in the 19th century. But if ever there was a time for that, maybe this is that time. 210-599-5555. Brian is on KTSA and the Jack Riccardi Show. Brian, good evening to you. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, I, you mentioned, it, you know, you find it difficult to believe that there's not another person out there, you know, I guess, I guess on the Republican side that has qualities that, you know, are at least comparable to Trump's. I, the thing that I think that Trump has that makes him unique is the thing that like most politicians, if not all find it impossible to possess, which is like sincerity, you know, and I think that's, he can say anything, but the fact that he seems like he's speaking from his own heart, I think is what appeals to people more than anything. And it's like, I, I think people are tired of the, you know, the scripted version of the politician and they want somebody that is at least they think is human, you know? And I, I think across Mm -hmm. the board, we assume that politicians you know, don't have much heart to begin with. So I think, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, at least this guy is able to speak from the heart, um, you know, with the assumption that none of these politicians really, you know, know what they're doing, you know, so we may as well find one that it's at least honest and forthright with us. Um, I think you've put your finger on it, uh, Brian. I really do. I mean, if you think about Trump's time, as a candidate and as president, there was always some controversy, right? There was always some tweet or or comment, and, you know, there were people having, you know, pearl clutching and fainting, you know, taking to their fainting couches. And, and, and see, I think that was what convinced a lot of people, well, um, he obviously says what he means and means what he says, because look how upset it gets everybody, how angry it makes them. Um, whereas politicians, you're right, they're trained from the beginning, from the first time they run for office, to not ever do that. Don't, and, and, and it's not that they don't have a heart, it's just that they're, they're highly disciplined or trained to not say anything outrageous. Yeah. I think people hunger for that, that type of delivery. So let me ask you a question. If, if it obviously worked for him, why wouldn't there be other people Maybe in politics, maybe not, 
who would say, hey, I can I can do that. I, that'll work for me, too. Because oh, I, I think they're just extremely risk-averse. Like, they, they all wouldn't be willing to risk saying the wrong thing or offending someone. Like, I believe that that's the single hardest thing to do in politics, which is what he's doing. Right, right. Which is I, I think, right, but at the same time, do you really want to be just another face in the crowd, or do you want to go somewhere? If you want, if you're ambitious... And you you want to you want to go places. You're going to have to do something that the other ninety nine or nine hundred ninety nine are not doing. And he he seemed to lay out a, a pathway. I think Ron DeSantis is following it. Uh, I think there's a couple of others that are following it. I'm kind of amazed there aren't more. Maybe there will be. Yeah, I mean, I can I I'll add this. I don't think his ideas are bad at all. I just think his delivery is the problem. I think most of no, his ideas are very populist. We talked about this when he was president. He actually was saying things that not so long ago the Democratic Party said about the border, about jobs, about American manufacturing. These were things Bill Clinton would have said, and nobody would have batted an eyelash. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. True. Thank you. Thank you. Great call, Brian. Um, I, I, I hope that I'm just ahead of the curve here a little bit and that there are people either in public life or entering public life. I mean, I don't go to CPAC and I don't, I'm not, I'm not super wired into the Republican party or to political organizations. I probably should be, but I'm not. So there, there may be more of this than I realize, but I would think that if you liked, like Brian was saying, Hey, you know, I, I like the policies. I want somebody who will unapologetically campaign on and then govern on those things. Okay. I would think there would be a lot of people trying to inherit that mantle, trying to wear that mantle. And 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 they might not all be Republicans. And they don't all have to be in politics. They could be people who are uh, coming into it the way Trump did. Hey, I, I, this isn't my bag, but things are so screwed up, I feel like I need to jump in here and say something or do something. I, I, I think that's probably where we're headed anyway, don't you? I, I would expect that in the coming years we're going to have a number of candidates who come from business or celebrity or sports or, you know, I, I, that, that I'm assuming that, but the part about letting it fly and speaking in a raw, unedited way, a blunt way and, and not, you know, and then when people freak out, not immediately issuing an apology, these mealy-mouthed, if I offended anybody, I would like to say at this time, just, look, that's what I said, that's what I meant. You know, where where he, I think, wasted a lot of energy was when he would get off into the weeds of of, you know, feuding with Whoopi Goldberg or this or that television reporter, but just being blunt and unapologetic for what you believe in. I don't know if you've noticed, but the other side does that. I mean, the other side in American politics has called you every name in the book. <laughs> they're they're blunt. They're plain spoken. They're unapologetic. Uh, they only apologize to each other. They don't apologize to you. They they're not worried about hurting your feelings or uh, besmirching your faith or your values or your role as a parent or any of that they 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 are letting it fly isn't that what he did and again 
I would if I if I was able to advise him or get his ear for a few minutes, I would just say be more efficient with it. You know, stick to the stick to the main battle. Don't get drawn off into these little side skirmishes and 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 pettiness and and let it and and then you know have your say and then just let it go. You got to just let it go. You've said it. They've heard you. You've got the bully pulpit of the presidency. Be done with it. But yeah, I think that's why people are are saying we need him back. He's got to run again. When really what they should be saying is we need inheritors of that on those of those uh positions and those issues and that approach. Where is the up and coming wave of people? You would think there would be. Men and and yet there may be. It's early. Global warming is an existential threat to humanity. We have a moral obligation to deal with it. I know more about wind than you do. It's extremely expensive, kills all the birds, it's very intermittent, it's got a lot of problems, and they happen to make the windmills in both Germany and China, and the fumes coming up, if you're a believer in carbon emission, the fumes coming up to make make these massive windmills is more than anything that we're talking about with natural gas, which is very clear. One other thing. All right, that could happen again. You could get more of that in 2024. Uh, are you up for that? 210-599-5555. I won't be around. I'll be gone. But, you you know, you'll have to hear all that again. Uh, are, do you have an appetite for that? Um, coming up this half hour, the results on our poll question on the Bear County Judge Race. And Mike is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Mike. Good evening to you. Hey, good evening. I love your show. Um, your question, your rhetorical question, I guess you're asking for a question, but our answer was, you know, uh, do you want another Trump? And I think the question we have to ask, and the previous caller did a great job trying to being uh, specific about what qualities he liked in Trump. I think all of us can relate and like the fight. And so you ask, mm-hmm. you know, to stand up to somebody and to mm-hmm. stick by yourself and be convicted mm-hmm. in your own beliefs and theories whether people liked them or not people like that it's relatable uh it's Mm -hmm. the next guy next door it's your friends and we already have that his name is ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. he is the fight but he's he's just as articulate if not more so than trump he's able Mm -hmm. to show the passion he's able to show the fight he's able to show the stick-to-itiveness and the conviction that we all gravitate towards trump but he does it in a polished way and so i think we've got one i think we've got a polished trump that doesn't get into the stupid tweets but has just as much fight and probably more eloquence than, than President Trump. What's your I, I completely agree with you, Mike, and I did mention him. I guess I'm a little surprised that there aren't more. For something that was such a successful formula and so unique, I'm a little surprised there aren't more people going down that road or trying to adopt that approach. I would, I would answer that by saying I don't think anybody wants to, to challenge Trump. And I think there's all kind of stuff on Facebook and Instagram, you know, talking about Trump DeSantis 24. Maybe the plan is, you know, for to, to, to ride on Trump's coattails to get him in and then, 
you know, he only runs one term and move on. But I don't think anybody wants to mess up the apple cart. It's the movement is not behind Donald Trump, the person. The movement is behind you, Donald Trump, the fight and what he believes in. Well, you I might have, have you, know, some, you, you might have misinterpreted what I said. I, I, I'm not implying that, that they have to run for president. Why aren't there people um, adopting that that bold? I'm going to say it. I don't care what you if you like it or not. This is what I think. Uh, running for all kinds of offices. In other words, they don't all have to run for president. It's a formula that, as you point out, people really like, and they were thirsting for it. We didn't know how much. Uh, I'm just a little surprised there aren't more people emulating it up and down the ballot, not just running for president. But maybe there will be. Maybe it's early yet. And, and like you say, maybe they don't want to, they don't want to uh, go against or, or be compared to him. Uh, 210-599-5555. And I'll tell you something else, and this makes people mad, and I don't care. Um, you have to, at some point, these ideas have to become more important than Trump. At some point, the things that you liked that he did, or the America First, or the, uh, you know, restoring, you know, uh, domestic production and bringing supply chains home, and um, deregulating government. At some point, you have to divorce those things from him. You can't make him the definition of them. You can't make him the uh, embodiment of them. That would be a cult. I'm not calling you a cultist, but if you can't ever let go of him, then you are. If you're, If your thought is that, well, we've got to have him or we can't have these things, that, that, that's Jim Jones' territory. So at some point, you've got to be able to say, there are other people who get this, who understand it, who can articulate it. I agree totally, Ron DeSantis is one of them. And I think there's some others. Um, and they will carry this forward, and they will fight for it just like he did. So that's that's my only concern. When people start getting too fixated, we've got to have Trump, we've got, he's got to run again. I, you worry me a little when you sound that way, because... I hope you what I hope what you mean is those ideas are so important we need a warrior who will carry them who will carry that banner and articulate them. And yes, he he is that guy, but he's not the only one. I mean, someday, right? He's 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 a mortal person, someday he won't be with us. Are you saying we're done? That's it. We, we we've only got however many years Donald Trump has left on earth? I, I don't think we're saying that, are we? 210-599-5555. Adam is on KTSA. Adam, good evening to you. Good evening, Jack. You know, I voted for Trump twice, you know, but it's just too much. One man cannot take on the, the whole media every single day. And, Jack, he was right about a lot of things in regards to Europe and energy and stuff you were uh, touching on. But it's just too much of a fight, even for one person, you know, I support Trump 100%. I support his ideals, but like you said, he's not going to be around forever. Uh, it's time to move on. I just don't think we could, I don't want to go through that again. It's just so much pressure. Uh, well, I hate to say this, Adam, but you're going to go through it again anyway because the next person that steps up and, and adopts those policies, and if they adopt them in, in the style that he did, will get all of that blowback. You, you, you will go through it again, and, and I have to be... I have to be honest about this. When I say we need more people and we need new blood and we need, you know, new, um, warriors, um, I, I, I'm using that word intentionally because it, it will still be a fight. 
Um, every single thing they threw at Trump, they will throw at DeSantis or whoever the next man or woman up is. Um, and, and look, I hope there's a lot of them. And I hope they're up and down the ballot. And I hope we see them running for local offices and, and school boards and, and state, uh, you know, uh, legislatures and, and for governor. Um, and, and ideally, we will have people like this in politics and we will have them outside politics. So that we, we will sometimes be able to say, here's somebody who's not in the world of politics or coming up the political ladder, but they're the right person for this moment and we're, we trust them. And we, we need them. And, um, and then other times they will be. I, I sometimes think about DeSantis and I wonder if some of Trump's supporters are, are leery of him. Because he is in politics. He has help. He can't, he can't say, I'm not a politician or I don't, I don't come from that world or this is all new to me. I wonder, I wonder if in a weird way, even though to me, he seems like a very, uh, worthy, uh, leader. And I think he gets it. I think he's, he's got a, he's got the heart of a lion. Um, but I wonder if people will count against him, ironically. That he has a political title in front of his name. 210 599 5555. You also, I think, um, so you have to expect that, that, yeah, if you found the Trump years exhausting, it, you, there'll be more of that. And that's why the person has to be unapologetic. It can't be an act. I think Lindsey Graham tries to do the act once in a while. I think some of these other Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, I think sometimes they try to, you know, play a little dress up in front of the mirror. They try to pull on a little of the Trump garb or pull out a little of the Trump lingo. They, they want to capture some of that, but it's not who they really are. Deep down, most of these politicians, like Brian, I think was the earlier caller said, they just, they are just so trained and programmed to never give offense. And should they ever give offense, they, they are programmed to immediately smother you with apologies. And that won't work. If you even start to back down from the stuff you and I care about, you won't get it. You, you won't get any of it. You, you just can't. I mean, it's one thing if you're factually wrong. Oh, I, I had the wrong statistic or I got the wrong. But I mean, you, you can't start making apologies for defending the Constitution or saying we're putting the, the security of the United States first or we're putting the American worker first or we're putting the legal immigrant first. You can't make apologies for that or they'll eat you alive. And, and I think we're going to see the proof of that because I think there'll be people that will be Trump light and <laughs> they're doomed. Because uh, you can't do it. J.R. Poll, powered by Stevens Roofing. For Bear County Judge, do you plan to vote for the Republican Trish DeBerry or the winner of the Democratic runoff, which is yet to be determined? So maybe not really a fair question because we don't know who the Democrats going to be yet. Uh, tonight, the results are as follows across all of our platforms. 87% said they would vote for Trish DeBerry. 13% said they would vote for the winner of the Democratic runoff. New question tomorrow when we get started at 4 on the radio, but there's always the JR poll question at KTSA.com. In fact, our show is always there. You can listen to it on demand anytime, as many episodes as you want. Is there such a thing as binge listening? People talk about binge watching. Is there binge listening? You can binge listen. If you 
are weird and you want to do that. Jack Riccardi page, KTSA.com. Speaking of watching versus listening, I don't know if it's just me, but do you, do you know anybody, or maybe you're like this, I have a few friends who are always wanting to do a video call instead of a phone call. Let's Zoom. And, you know, look, I'm on radio, first of all. There's a reason. I don't want to be visual. I have a face for radio. And I have a face for radio all the time, not just between 4 and 7. But seriously, I'm just not into the video chat thing, you know? I thought about this long and hard, and I realized part of it is video chat's more of a commitment. you got to stay in range of the camera. I like kind of moving around when I'm on the phone. I don't like long phone calls. And when I am on the phone, I'm doing other stuff. I hope that's not giving away too much. You know, you maybe you're fixing dinner or you're, you know, puttering around the house. Do you putter? I putter. And uh, with a video caller, you're sort of more obligated. You're kind of locked in, locked down, got to stay, you know, on camera. And then, I don't know, it seems like they take longer. Like, oh, now that we're on, uh, you know, now that we're connected. And that's just, I. it's too much of a commitment. What is it with this video chat thing, George Jetson? Why do we have to do Just because we have the technology doesn't mean we have to use it. I get it for, like, meetings and during the pandemic and I, I do use it for that. I, I'm not hesitant to have a Zoom meeting or whatever uh, because it's easier. It's more convenient for business, I mean. But like like when just somebody just wants to catch up, like my brother in New Hampshire, always with the, oh, we got to do a video chat. Really, why? I think it's great that we're still talking. A lot, of, a lot of family people aren't even talking anymore, brothers and sisters and siblings. and We're still talking. Phone is good. You know, phone, phone was good for the first 100 years. Nobody said to Alexander Graham Bell, oh, this thing stinks. There's no picture. Nobody said that. We were fine with that. Now all of a sudden, Zoom, Google Hangout, FaceTime. How about, how about no FaceTime? How about voice time? I still think it's incredible. A friend of mine is, is, uh, traveling. He's, half a world away right now. I still think it's incredible that we can even make phone calls to other continents and other countries. To me, that's, that, that is incredible to me. I know you're saying, what are you, unfrozen caveman lawyer? But I seriously, I marvel at that, you know? Like what, I, I, I kind of know how we do it, but I still think it's incredible that we do it. And that's enough for me, you know? I can talk, I can pick up a phone and we can talk, and you're in Japan. I think that's incredible. Remember for a while when we had long-distance cards? Remember you had, like, your long-distance card? Oh, yeah, I've got to punch in my code. I'm making a long-distance call. Or wasn't it for a while with cell phones? Remember it was after a certain time of day, you could get, like, the long-distance rates didn't apply. I remember calling... You know, out of town relatives, like after seven o'clock. Was it was it seven o'clock or eight o'clock? You remember, Don? Where it would be like cheaper to make a long distance call. And now we don't even do that. Just, you just call. It's great. No, no, no. It's not great. It's terrible. It's primitive. We need face. And then, if you agree to it, 
Sometimes you find out that they've invited other people. Oh, we're going to get all the siblings on one call. Oh, great. Too much pressure, you know? I mean, I don't want to have my hair combed all the time. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? So, lighten up a little on the video chat, the video call. Oh, let's have a video call. There's something magical about just hearing a person's voice. You can imagine what they look like. You've seen them before. If it helps you, you know, if it helps you, get a picture of them. Put it, put it down on the table while you're talking to them on the phone, you know? They do that on television when they can't have a video hookup with somebody and they're interviewing somebody. They put up a still photograph and it says, on the phone with. You could do that at home. Right? Yeah, there's just something about video calls. And then I'm always thinking about what's behind me. You know? (laughs) I have to think about what the background is. Or do you have like one place you go where you make all your video calls? I don't. I just, I just take phone calls wherever I am in the house, you know, and, now, if you're doing a video call, oh, where where is their good lighting? What's 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 going to be behind? But do I, do I want them to see this or see that, or does that look neat? So, Jeffrey Tubin should have been listening to this advice. See, Jeffrey, at very good point. Don said Jeffrey Tubin, if he had been on a, on a regular phone call, there are no Jeffrey Tubin jokes at all. But he had to be on a video call. So see, now I I don't have that problem. Just so we're clear, I'm not. That isn't my hang up or my concern about. Video calls, uh, but just the whole, um, I don't know, just not crazy about the visuals. I'm not a people person. I know you're probably surprised you think in this business you would be, but radio is, is something you do very much alone. And you, uh, you actually, it's easier to do if you don't need there to be people looking at you and people around you and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's actually hard for people to do radio if they have the need for that human interaction. You remember, Don, we worked with a guy. I won't name him, but it was a long time ago. And he would do the radio show with a mirror. Do you remember that guy? You know who I'm talking about? He had a mirror in the studio. He had to to see another face, even though that face was him, in order to do what you and I are doing right now. So there you go. I'll leave you with that tomorrow at 4.00. 